0: Friends, of course I go by the name of the kid famous. You and air tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertaining. Let's get this started. Okay, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's
1: go. This is Tim and Friends for Monday, March 7th. I'm Tim McCalloph, still hurting both physically and emotionally. From my loss in the 40 to the man you just saw dancing. Our digital producer, Jesse Rubinoff. Um, no, I don't know if we were racing each other, no. necessarily. No. Uh, I was more ashamed at my time than I was losing to a man 13 years younger than I. However, I was ashamed of both, to be honest with you.
2: Yeah, we're, we both lost. Like, anything above six seconds is just completely unacceptable. And that's based on this time, which I, I don't know, I'd still want to put up a fight about. But uh, based on the time, it, pretty pathetic performances. You, you want to fight about the time? Yeah, I mean, watch this. I mean, just, well, yeah, I mean, naked eye, does that look like the clock started properly to you? Oh, you believe that the... I'm still smarting about this after right. uh, almost 72 hours. So,
1: so the behind the scenes of the day, uh, a lot of people don't know about. Uh, by the way, how are your hamstrings? How are your quads? Funny uh, you should ask. Feet?
2: Funny you should ask, yeah. because every day of the weekend, something else hurt. So, like, lower back was oh, yeah. Friday night, then I woke up hamstrings on Saturday, then yeah. Sunday was quads. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a foreign movement to me now. It's, no sprints.
1: Uh, my, my whole point was to get through it without getting injured, so I shouldn't be all that upset. Yeah. Um, that said, I felt pretty good over the weekend. Really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't really push it. Because I was worried about, like, really hurting myself.
2: We could tell based on the start. You know, we could, that's why you started the way you started.
1: Right? No, the, the way I started is a completely different story altogether. I mean, you, you haven't even revealed to the people that on the unofficial times, I beat you.
2: Right, that is true. Yeah, I was uh, flabbergasted, shall we say, at the unofficial times. We were both like, flabbergasted. No, but, it, it, you were, but you were a quick, I think it was a 5-4-8
1: Unofficially, unofficially, I was five four eight, which I was happy with, which I walked away thinking I had run, yeah. only to realize on the official time I was a full second faster, <laughs> which is slower. absolutely like slower. I, you could see on air live how I was yeah full second slower. Yeah, you could see on air when we did it live how jaw-dropped I was. Like, I had a bunch of lines about my tits and about how it looked like I got shot in the leg. And and I forgot them all watching in absolute horror as I lost my manhood and realized just how
2: old I was in 6.47 seconds. I gotta say, once you got going, though, you had some speed. I would like uh, uh, to measure the top speed of each of us. you, You know what happened was I false started.
1: Well, you, yeah, said you when, started, when my, no, stuttered no.
2: a little bit. When yeah. my
1: time was there, you accused me of a false start, and I thought I had started early, so <laughs> I stopped, and then I started again. Right? But in real measurements of the 40, what you do is, on first movement, you start the clock. But we had in the market, you say, go, guy. This,
2: it sounds like and we didn't even have it in a your set. No, we didn't. It we was, had a 3-2-1-go right. From guy. 40 yards away. So, I mean, you weren't wearing your glasses, so maybe you didn't yeah, see it. No,
1: them. no, the 3-2-1-go. Who says three, two, one, go <laughs> And you asked him quite. I clarified. Yeah, quite smartly. Yeah. You said, are we going
2: on go yeah. or are we going on 3-2-1? Both our starts got ripped apart on uh, social media. Mine was, people were comparing it to like a, like a karate stance. Like, I don't know what I was, like, what is that? Yeah, yeah, that is, how are you again? Yeah, you know, I was worried about getting <laughs> yeah. down in the sprinter yeah. start, because we didn't have blocks, right? You don't have blocks. And then if you, you go, you could fall. And then, I mean, that would have probably been better material I, for us, but I didn't want to risk that on a cold day, one degree day. Could have gotten in some trouble there.
1: I didn't want to go down into a sprinter start because I don't think I would have been able to get up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little right. different. Mine's a little different.
2: Yeah, I've fallen I and think, I can't get up. That probably should have been my reasoning <laughs> be as well. Yeah, very good.
1: I do feel like there is room for improvement. Yeah. Next year around combine time, by the way, we, for those out there, we've done this before. Mm-hmm. Like there are people accusing us of like seeing other people doing it and doing it. Common thing. Sixero did it a long time ago, and Rich Eisen did it before Sid
2: Sixero did yeah, it. Yeah, I would do so it once a week if it was up to me. It's I can't wait
1: it. till next time. Yeah, uh, Well, maybe, maybe I can. <laughs> I also can't wait for today's show as we get you set for hometown hockey. Leafs and Jackets across the nation as well as, as if that weren't enough, Toronto Maple Leafs across the nation against the Columbus Blue Jackets. We've also got the Battle of Alberta. And the Battle of Alberta that means the NHL is better. When the battle of Alberta means something, it means something again. You can see it across the nation on Sportsnet One later today. So not only are Ron McLean and Tara Sloan stopping by, but so is Frank Saravelli on all the rumors and how they pertain to the Tendy trials in both Toronto and Edmonton. And on this day, both those very relevant. Dave McMenamin also stops by. I've never, an eventful Sunday in the National Basketball Association. Raptors lose again, this time in Cleveland. i got a few things to say about that. We'll also let McMenamin weigh in on the Raps. Lakers win over the Warriors. 56 from LeBron James. A young kid again. Golden State struggles. The Celtics with 54 from Jason Tatum. Put Kyrie and the Nets in their place, which is shockingly now ninth in the East. And they're still favorites (laughs) to win said East in Vegas. That's more shocking than Kim Kardashian breaking up with a dude and the world blaming it on the dude. But as always, the human race is way too often distracted by the shiny things. So let's give them what they want. Jesse Rubinoff, first things first. Let it flow, Kimbe Matumbo. Nice. I think Kim just got a new please, private
2: plane. I could care less. Yeah. I figured that would be your reaction, but I thought I'd... I, I literally contact. hate the Kardashians. Hate is yeah. a strong word.
1: Yeah, I hate the Kardashian success. Maybe that's what I hate. Oh, okay. I don't hate the... Well, I, I think they've... Chewed up people and spit them out for their own fame and fortune. So mm. maybe I
2: do hate them. Mm. Maybe I do hate them. Strong take. Let's see if you have some strong takes about strong the Leafs take. and Oilers. I'll uh, give you a strong. Busy take. night of hockey on Sportsnet uh, tonight. <laughs> the Leafs are in take. Columbus <laughs> at seven Eastern, while the Battle of Alberta gets going at seven thirty Mountain Time. Over the weekend, Jack Campbell allowed five goals on twenty-eight shots yeah. as the Leafs fell six-four to the Canucks. While Mike Smith. Struggled in Edmonton, allowing four goals on 28 shots in a 5-2 loss to the Habs. So, Tim, we've talked about the Oilers' goaltending woes many times. Maybe ad nauseum, but has the Leafs' goaltending become just as much of a concern here?
1: Yeah, if you look at Sportsnet stats over the weekend, I don't know if you saw this, uh, but uh, I might be able to pull it up for you, in fact.
2: Love that. I Technology and stuff. I, I don't have it in front of
1: me. Darn it all. I had it before the show started and then I started looking at other things and now here it is. Just wait long enough and I'll get it. Love it. It takes me a second. Uh, since January 9th, the Leaf save percentage of 876 is dead last in the NHL. I repeat, Since January 9th, this is no longer a small sample size. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've looked at the, I mean, the calendar means nothing to a lot of people these days, but it's it's March. March
2: 7th. Yeah, that's crazy.
1: It's March 7th, so it's almost two months, and the Leafs have had the worst save percentage among all NHL teams since that time. Now, you offset that with the idea that going into that January 9th, The Toronto Maple Leafs were one and two in goals against and save percentage. And maybe there's a different context to the struggles of late. But there is no doubt that Peter Morazic hasn't lived up to a near $4 million tab. There are extenuating circumstances surrounding that, like his injuries. But also Jack Campbell, who had a lot of people in this local market talking about just how much money he was going to make in the offseason as a free agent. It was going to be a significant—I heard $6 million thrown out there for Jack Campbell, and now he's fighting for his job. And this guy's worn his heart on his sleeve the entire time, and it might be part of the reason why he was a first-round pick and then was was on the verge of not making the NHL Mm -hmm. as a first-round pick, broke it down, rebuilt it, and seemed like it was a wonderful story. In Toronto. And I'm cheering for that story because I think what he's gone through in his life to get to this point is a lot of perseverance and a lot of thinking. But it remains that he wears his heart on his sleeve. And I don't know if you heard him post game yep. on Saturday night, but the, he, he gave you a window into that soul. And here's a listen.
3: You know, I've been pretty hard on myself this year and obviously it's snowballed a little bit and you know, trying to uh, chill out a little bit about dissecting my game and you know, I'm gonna be looking at it, not happy with giving up any goals ever. So, you know, it's not acceptable. You know, I appreciate the fans still supporting me and the team and you know, I promise I'll get out of it and get on a roll again. Sometimes trying too hard isn't always the best thing and just letting the game come to me and You know i'll get it back and promise i
2: will do you believe him no because oftentimes with goaltenders it's out of your control he can promise all he wants but if he can't find it it's not like he's not trying in practice he's obviously trying to find it he just cannot do it at the moment i've been there i was a goalie It's different i wasn't in the nhl but when you lose it it's very difficult to get it back you cannot make any promises
1: But don't all goalies go through ups and downs and the goal, the reason why tenders are a little bit different is because they try and stay even keel the entire way? Like, I feel like, listen, is Connor Hellebuck one of the best goaltenders on planet Earth? Mm -hmm. Has he gone through some ups and downs Mm -hmm. over the last few years? Like, you could go through a lot of goalies who are really good goalies who have felt these ups and downs, especially in this 24-hour news cycle where it's constant, constant. I mean, you got people watching the game on YouTube and people watching the guy watching the game on YouTube. Shout out Dangle. Like, we're in a different universe than we were, say, when Patrick Waugh was the best goaltender on planet Earth, right? Yeah. But did he have his ups and downs? Did he stay even keel? Like, I just feel like there's these regular ebbs and flows to any goalie. And for Jack Campbell... Since he got here, even though, the, Toronto, even though the numbers are ridiculously good over the long term, he's had giant ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. And his goal should be to get to
2: that even keel. And I haven't seen it yet, and that's why I think people are worried. Yeah, I think it's a matter of trust and coming down to uh, the body of work for a goaltender over the course of their career. Jack Campbell's 30 years old. And when he's gotten into these ruts, it hasn't been, OK, are you going to be the starter? It's, it's been are you going to be able to stick around in the NHL? Because they've been that bad. So when you try and compare that to Connor Hellebuck, Hellebuck won the Vesna. He's been a better goaltender than Jack Campbell over the course of his career. So I know Hellebuck's not the only example, but I think there's a smaller sample size with Jack Campbell, and that would cause me to have more concern about whether he can actually get it back. And you cannot make promises, like I said, when you're a goaltender. Yeah, but that, I don't think that was my point.
1: I think my point was he takes the ebbs and flows to extremes.
2: He takes the ebbs and flows to extremes.
1: Yeah, the highs and the lows of any goaltender, what any goaltender goes through, yeah. seem to affect Jack Campbell more. I think yes. you're misconstruing no, no, what yes, i was saying. No, no, yes, yes, and or and, just trying to make your own point.
2: No, I think I think his personality uh, plays a huge role in that too, right? Because he he gets so yeah. up. but that's what I'm. That, yeah, that, that's yeah. the point that I'm attempting to make. Is can a goalie get
1: that high and that low and be successful in the National Hockey League where you're
2: facing on every given day some of the best shooters on planet Earth. Well, Sorry, uh, the best shooters on planet Earth. That's very interesting because last week we talked about his safe percentage being 917, with the peaks being here and the valleys being here, and are you okay with that? Now, the difficult thing is then if you're here when you go into the playoffs, which is low. <laughs> Absolutely correct. You're toast. Right. So, and if you're here at the top of the high. You can win a cup. Maybe you make
1: a run like, I can't say Carey Price and Jack Campbell in the same breath because people will rip the crap out of it <laughs> and, just, and justifiably so. Uh, but if you're up there, we've seen that before from lots of goaltenders. Steal it. Can, a, can a goalie steal a series? Without a doubt. Can an average goalie steal a series? Without a doubt. And right now, I just I, I look at Jack Campbell and I think it's a great story and I hope he finds that even keel. And that someone once said to me, um, I want to get this right. If you're going to impress someone, make it yourself. And if you're going to trust somebody, make it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where Jack Campbell is. It's not, it's absolutely not the goaltender between the pipes. The, 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 the physical tools that he brings to the table were enough to get him drafted in the first round. And they've been enough to show flashes of absolute brilliance. I just think it's here, and a lot of goalies are in that very same spot all over the world.
2: Tough to get it back when you lose it. Um, I mean, Mike Smith had a rough night on Saturday night. I'm not
1: talking about this anymore.
2: You're not talking about the Oilers anymore?
1: I'm not talking about the Oilers' goaltending anymore. Why how, is many, that? how many times do I have to do this? How many, like, just play the vault, guys. I'm done. Just play the vault. Here's the vault. The situation remains the same. They still need a goalie, and they still need defense. I think Ken Holland needs to do something, (laughs) and he's already said money for money. I don't know how they do this, but they need to do something. If you're below a 900 save percentage in the National Hockey League, you're not good enough. There's no rockets to the science, Edmonton. They know that. I don't know what Ken Holland's waiting for. Honestly, I don't. Pay it. Pay the man. Pay whoever is the goalie that you're looking at. Get it done. How long have I been saying this? Like yeah. I've been saying that they need more help in that for about oh, a better part of a decade. Like what are we doing here? It's just every time on repeat now. Okay. <laughs> when you ask me this question, I will say, like, listen, we'll ask Frank Saravelli, who's going to join us a little later on. Yeah about this very same thing, and we'll see what he has to say because I'm, I'm done having that conversation. It seems so obvious to me. Give up a piece that works to get yourself. And listen, you thought maybe Mike Smith would get back to the Mike Smith that you saw last year. It hasn't happened. It hasn't he hasn't happened. been that guy for the Edmonton Oilers more often than he has been that guy. Kenny Holland, trade
2: deadline's coming. Got to make a move.
1: Uh, Battle of Alberta and the Leafs and Jackets, both on the Sportsnet family of channels, coming up. A little later on, we'll have Frank Saravelli and Ron and Tara Sloan ahead of to have Tara back on yes. the lineup, yes. although I think it's virtual. Uh, we'll have them on the show a little bit later on. Love it. Uh,
2: okay. That's enough hockey talk for now. Let's go to Major League Baseball and the Players Association, who met on Sunday to continue their labor talks, and the league claims the latest offer from the PA, quote, went backwards. Uh-oh, it didn't. Uh, there were some agreements made regarding on-field rule changes, which could happen as early as 2023, including a pitch clock and banning defensive shifts. There were no negotiations scheduled for today, but Tim, do you even care? You haven't
1: learned from any of these conversations, have you? Like, you don't agree with me. You just said, "Uh uh-oh, that's not good.
2: (laughs) But you don't care. I know you don't care. No, no, no. It's not that I
1: don't care. It's that you'll get a different report from whoever's talking to the owner's side and whoever's talking to the player's side. Like, you, you get that that's what I've been saying for the last... Leverage on this ish, right?
2: They're trying to create leverage for each other. And it's
1: all spin and it's all baloney. And we went three days where it was three completely different reports last week on what was about to happen. No deal, deal, no deal. It was like where Howie Mandel was here. (laughs) By the way, good looking fella, Howie Mandel. Either way, I'm not playing that game anymore. I will play the uh, are you good with the ghost win? Are you good with the bigger bases? Are you good with the robot arms? That, to me, is way more interesting. And that seems to be what they're
2: focusing on right now. Do any of those reach out and touch you? <laughs> nice. Uh, I like the pitch clock. I think baseball needs to do a, a very... I didn't ask you about the pitch clock. Do any of those touch me? Yeah, I said robot umps, ghost wins,
1: and bigger bases. (laughs) Because everyone believes in the pitch clock. The entire world believes in the pitch clock. The pitch clock needs to happen (laughs) right now. No questions. I thought
2: it was the umbrella of of rules.
1: You picked the easiest one. I gave you three hard ones, (laughs) and you went to the easy one. And I'm not blaming you for it. I probably would have done the same thing. I'm just asking you of the tough ones. Do you get the bigger bases? Do you understand what the bigger bases is about? Uh... Not only three really.
2: inches. What's the, what's, the, what's the impetus? The
1: idea is that you'll have more stolen bases because it'll be a little bit closer. Okay. You might encourage more stolen bases. And the play at second on a double play when you're trying to turn it, there's more space for the player to so go no to one side of the bag or... or the other side of the bag. Yeah. And also when you're sliding into second and the guy pops off the bag and they have that tag held yeah. on, and then you go to replay, and it's ridiculous. It takes forever. This could help them. So people were asking, what the hell is the story with the bigger
2: bases? That's the story with the bigger bases. So we're aligned on the pitch clock. Without a doubt. Why can't baseball hit their professionals? Why can't they just hit the other way? Like, why do they have to shift?
1: Do, <laughs> do you want to have the long, drawn-out?
2: No, no. we can do it when, such, when it becomes official, but yeah. I
1: really, I just don't it's, know. It's such an easy... Um, such an easier said than done conversation to say, just hit the other way. Why can't you ban the shift if you can't hit the other way? Or why can't you just have, like the NBA has done this numerous times Mm -hmm. where they've changed the rules of defense in order to like every game has done it. The NFL has done it. The NHL has done it in order to promote offense. They ban something that slows down the offense and everyone's just like, Oh, why would they do that? Just hit the other
2: way. (laughs) Well, Why aren't they hitting the other way? I think there's more purists in baseball maybe than any other sport out there. So that's probably why there's more blowback to rule. Ch- <coughs> rule. Would you, would you like <laughs> fries with that, sir? <laughs> rule changes. <laughs> <laughs> sir, baseball, your moist towelette. Thank you, Sebi. Sebi's bringing water. Thank you. I don't need it. It's fine. I'm good. You're good to go. Let's move on to the Raptors. Let's see if I can get through this without... Voice crack number three, the Toronto Raptors kick off a six-game road trip over the weekend in Cleveland, losing 104-96 to the Cavs for their third straight loss. Next up, a date with the Spurs on Wednesday in San Antonio before traveling to Phoenix, Denver, and LA. Tim, with a tough schedule ahead, what's your level of concern with this team right now?
1: There, there is a concern here, and it's not one that I've heard talked about enough. Like, I think Nick Nurse is a wonderful coach. He's a championship coach. And I've given him a ton of credit for keeping this team tough and the culture and, frankly, the results relevant through whatever the hell we will look back at this transition era as. That said, nobody's perfect. And I'm concerned that the minutes Nick Nurse played these dudes for the most part of this season to stay relevant has come at a significant cost. Listen... If you watch enough, you know that we have brought up the minutes, especially in January. Now, I'm always preaching context, so when you consider these numbers, also remember that the Raptors were playing some of the best ball of the year at the time, had a top five record in the league over the same stretch. However, at what cost is my next question. Both Pascal Siakam and Freddie VanVleet averaged over, averaged, over 40 minutes a game in the month of January. They were 1-2 in the league. In fact, on February 8th, top minutes per game guys in the league were 1, Freddie Van Vliet, 2, Pascal Siakam, 3, OG Ananobi. That's 1, 2, 3 in the league in early February. No team in the 70 or so years that the league keeps, has kept track of minutes has had the top three players in minutes per game and only two have ever had the top two. Ponder that for a moment. 70 years, only two have had the top two. P.S. both those teams lost in the first round of the playoffs. The reason is, it's not sustainable. And that's what we said at the time. I love Alex McKegney. He's the VP of player health and performance for the Toronto Raptors, the brains behind Kawhi's load management. But did he sign off on this too? Because in short order, OG goes down, Freddie has soreness in the knee, and he goes down too. So already thin at point guard, the Raptors turn to Malachi Flynn. He steps up in a big way, but after playing a grand total of 125 minutes in the NBA over the past eight weeks, he plays 143 last week alone. And guess what? He gets hurt. Hammy, he's out. Now the Raptors have to play with Delano Banton and Scotty Barnes at one guard against the Cavs, and they never looked like they had much of a chance. In the midst of all the minutes talk that you and I were having on this show, Mm -hmm. Nick Nurse was asked about it. He said the players love it. And I said, at the time, sometimes you have to save athletes from themselves because most of them love playing so much that they will tell you exactly what you want to hear. You have to save them from themselves. Listen, Van Vliet, Siakam, Ananobi, and Trent are all playing their career highs in minutes. And Barnes is playing the most minutes per game of any rookie since Andrew Wiggins in 2014-2015. It was bound to catch up with him. And in my humble opinion, my concern is exactly what's happening right now. The question is, did you get enough out of the season to warrant it? And I will leave that up to Raptors, the fans. They can decide that. I don't know if you think it was worth it.
2: Yeah, because they weren't going to win if they didn't do this and I'm a fan of winning, although there's probably a ceiling to this season. Everybody acknowledged that, but they weren't going to win games if they didn't play these guys that amount. Was this season about winning? No, but I think it's a hard ask to say to uh, a coach who's won Coach of the Year and wants to, is competitive, wants to win games. I think it's a hard ask to say, don't play your best guys and give your team the best chance to win.
1: Even if it gets them hurt?
2: Yeah, it's not the first time it's ever happened.
1: Still plenty ahead on this Monday edition of Tim and Friends. The plays of the week are back. We'll have the best and worst from the past seven days coming up before 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll also to talk to ESPN's Dave McMenamin. We'll ask him the very same question that we asked Jesse Rubinoff and you. Plus, LeBron James, his historic performance on Saturday, and lots of hockey talk as we get you set for the Battle of Alberta and the Leafs some Blue Jackets at Hometown Hockey. Frank Saravelli, Sean McKenzie, Ryan Leslie, all stopping by Rob McLean, Tara Sloan, Tim and Friends, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360.
3: Let's go. The two best words in hockey are road trip. <laughs> right in behind us, Tara. It's nice to be back on the road again with you. The freaking driving. <laughs> Trying
0: to
4: center open net. Oh, what oh. a oh. save oh by Vasilevsky. <laughs> Patrick Kane looking skyward. How did that not go in? They all say it. They all feel it. The battle of Alberta is back for Jack Campbell again. Another one that finds a way through him.
3: You know, I promise I'll get out of it and get on a roll again. Coming inbounds. inbound, both Elliott to James.
5: Boy, it's Templum right, right. here in LA. Are these yeah, it's good.
4: All right. Don't need yeah, good. Well, well, trying to sneak up around
0: yeah.
4: <laughs> in his old house.
1: Welcome back to Tim and Friends, Plays of the Week, and Dave McMenamin coming up. Meanwhile, the Leafs look will try and snap their two-game losing streak tonight when they visit the Blue Jackets on the Rogers' hometown hockey. Peter Mrazek will get the start in goal for the Leafs. Ron McLean and Tara Sloan will get you set, starting at 6.30 Eastern on Sportsnet. And speaking of Ron McLean, he was able to conduct this interview last week solo. As shocking as that seems for the rookie that he is, I go all that way. To welcome tara sloan back to the mix ron tara good to have you both back but welcome Cheers. back tara
6: thank you uh, i'm sort of back i am putting the home in hometown hockey tonight <laughs> i felt very uh, self-assured last week when i sort of tweeted out i'll see you next week in studio not the case i feel almost 100 percent. so now i'm saying i will see you next week in the studio
1: uh, Ron, you, you were able to get through that alone last week, right?
3: Not really. I, I, was, <laughs> I was having my issues. Uh, I get a little squirrely going back watching the game by myself, right? So right. that's when you begin to talk to yourself. I, I miss Tara very much. And just the whole ethos of the show, right, uh, involves kind of... Uh, her point of view, helping mine, and it wasn't there. So, got through it, but uh, let's not do it anymore.
1: That's why I need Jesse in the studio with me. I need need a little (laughs) You notice I always
3: say hi to Jesse. Whenever I'm on with you, Tim, (laughs) I make sure to include Jesse.
1: You do all the time. Interesting game tonight, Ron, as the Leafs seem to be in the midst of, dare I say, yet another faith test for their fan base, eh?
3: Right, we kind of laid out all the games that were uh, big, bright lights and how do the Leafs respond And over the last year and a bit and uh, the playoffs notwithstanding, it's been tough for them. Uh, And they're missing Muzzin and we all know that everybody seems to be able to get away with standing in front of the goaltender and we know the goalies have been an issue for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it's funny, uh, maybe Tara's return is a good sign for, although it's Mrazic tonight, I do think they need Jack Campbell ultimately to be their guy. When Tara sang the anthem at Bell Centre in Montreal, Jose Theodore was the netminder for the home team, the Montreal Canadiens and he would win the Hart Trophy that year. So it's good karma to have Tara on the telecast tonight. The Leafs need it. Uh, They face Merzlikens, so you got one side Leakon and the other side Merzlikens. (laughs) Something's got to give.
1: That's pretty good.
3: Let me me get some horns there. Tara,
1: neither of us have been around as long as the guy sitting beside you, Uh, but have you gotten used to the swings from the fan bases that we see here in Canada? Because it feels like every pendulum just keeps moving left to right hard throughout this season
6: yeah you just have to smile and laugh it's kind of ridiculous i mean on one hand you love it because this is canada hockey's a big deal and um i, I think you know people are very passionate and, and that's very clear um but absolutely you know i i think if if you just trust your heart and see what your team is doing i think you're in a better place than if you're following it on twitter because it's just a madhouse out there
1: All right, we'll start with Ron on this one, but I know that there is a special focus on International Women's Day on today's show. What's on tap?
3: Well, the opening essay, Tara has uh, put together a nice five-minute special to launch the telecast this evening, Tim. Jocelyn Lorac from Team Canada is going to join us in the first intermission of the game. I don't have to tell you that uh, Jocelyn and Renata Fast, especially early on in the tournament, because Canada went with a young defence at Beijing, uh, they played half an hour a game, and they were just absolutely incredible. And we all have the visual of Jocelyn after uh, stripping her silver medal off. She'd already won a gold in Sochi, so it's not like the only dream of her life was to win gold, but she was not happy when the Americans got them at Pyeongchang. Chang and so it'll be great remember Tara we had uh, Jocelyn on uh, right after the Olympics in Pyeongchang I think it was our Markham Rogers hometown hockey and uh, was just Laura Stacey Laura Fortino remember how forlorn they were
6: oh it was awful it was 10 days after the tournament and yeah I mean of course you're congratulating a team on a silver medal that for them it's a loss and we know that Jocelyn was probably the most um I wouldn't say vocal, but we know that she demonstrated her disappointment on the ice, and so this is a really nice uh, what goes around, comes around moment for her to win her second gold medal.
3: Which actually Tim brings us to Angela. James is on the bride. Angela, don't worry if you're just coming into the building, we're not going to go right at you here, because <laughs> you won't hear us saying, uh, hey, quit with uh, the hysteria, or quit with being angry because we know uh, the passion that all the women, all the women who built the game, whether it's Jana Hefford or Angela James, are feeling right now trying to get this thing sorted, and there's a lot of great developments, but there's still that uh, duality that we're trying to solve. So Angela's here as a newly minted owner. Along with Angela uh, is Anthony Stewart, mm-hmm. a newly minted owner of the Toronto Six. Isn't that incredible? So uh, really great news to have those two join us. Uh, and we also have Christina Lamy, who was, uh, is responsible for the Blizzard in Cape Breton, a great uh, female hockey program, but to kind of give us a 30,000-foot perspective on what might get us to bring these uh, two sides together?
1: Yeah, th- this is, uh, you know, I just heard Sarah Nurse say that a professional league is close, and Tyler taminia just stepped down. Tara is commissioner uh, of the PHF. The timing seems really interesting all, in all this, and I know that you've talked to a lot of particulars involved in both sides of this duality that Ron's speaking of. D- do we need, though, to find some common ground in order to make one pro league work the best it possibly can?
6: It certainly seems so. Uh, you know, on one hand, it it feels like there's so much percolating and there's so much going on with both the PHF and the PWHPA. Uh, the PWHPA obviously finding a lot of partnership with NHL teams and the mm-hmm. PHF with this new ownership, this new infusion of money. But then you see, you know, when you see Angela James' Facebook post, um, how frustrated She is, and I think that really represents a lot of people in women's hockey and a lot of women's hockey fans just saying like, why can't you get it together um, to come up with sort of one league or one system? Who knows what it is? Uh, But uh, do I have the answer? Absolutely not. Are there things that are probably under the surface and and behind the scenes happening as we speak? Probably, but uh, I am not privy to those details. But I think the time is certainly now I think all eyes are on women's hockey, so I hope, along with everybody else, that something gets done.
1: Tara, this seems like a a big show for you, given what I know about you. We met a few years back at the BLG Awards, and you were telling me just how much passion you had for storytelling, and storytelling around whatever uh, ties that bind us. Is today something special on your calendar when it comes to hometown hockey?
6: Well, I mean, I think anybody who knows and follows me knows that Uh, you know, it's not just telling women's stories. You know, I I think the, the joy of hometown hockey for me and for all of us has been that it can be a really representative show. And in that way, I think has managed to set itself apart. So International Women's Day to me is a day to mark our progress and also look ahead and see the work that needs to be done. And we know that there's lots of work to be done. So uh, I am here for the celebration and obviously I'm here for the conversation. So it's nice to have uh, a women hockey uh, focused theme tonight. Although this PHF news uh, just happened to, to come about today or yesterday or the day before so it yeah. all worked
1: out yeah adds a little wrinkle to the equation uh another another note uh our date to note march 19th because you guys are back on the road uh ron i believe it begins in
3: in border kings country i'm really worried Kirk bensmiller <laughs> do you know that name he's a world champion and calgary stampede champion chuck wagon racer oh, and the nice. last time we were there uh, we were all out together, Tara and me and Kurt singing karaoke after the show. <laughs> and uh, that was tough. <laughs> yeah, that, so, was,
6: that was not a fun drive to Edmonton. Though. No, it
3: was, that's right. Uh, but it was a great time. And Lloyd, actually, uh, we did uh, Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada, Tim. The lo- time we did it there, Dick Irvin, the so last time he did it. Uh, we'll have to get Dick. You just saw he celebrated his 90th uh, Friday. And he could easily come and join us on the show again. Although he, he said when we went to uh, Seanovan, he says, what am I doing driving all the way? out here from Montreal. (laughs) He he almost drove the whole thing. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be great to be in Lloydminster. Dick Irvin was with us when we did that show in Lloyd and uh, Carly Agro actually was a big part of the broadcast in Lloydminster and to get uh, back on the road, Tara, aren't you excited? I mean, just uh, once again, to make the game uh, a first-hand experience, much like this conversation we're having about all all the great women who are leading the way right now in our sport, uh, this show gets us uh, a lot of alumni, a lot of prominent women in our game to come out and uh, show the kids uh, that they're just Ordinary human beings who are really good at hockey. So
6: it's yeah, uh, you can't sorry. sorry
1: no, sorry, I, I jumped in there. We were both <laughs> jumping in there at the same time. Uh, go ahead, Tara.
6: Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, you just can't talk about communities without having your, your boots on the ground. So right. uh, we're really grateful that things are normal enough that we can get back out there and, and hopefully finish off the season this way.
1: All I was going to say was Grand Prairie, March 26th to the 28th, Edmonton. And then uh, Prince George going to PG, uh, April 9th to the 11th. Uh, Always appreciate when you join us. Thank you both very much for doing this. Great, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. There is uh, Tara Sloan back in the saddle, kind of, sort of, putting the home and hometown hockey alongside Ron McClain. Uh, Thank you both. Leafs jackets tonight, followed by the Battle of Alberta, which you can also see nationally on Sportsnet 1. A great evening of hockey, and it all begins 6.30 Eastern with Ron. And Tara. All right. It is the best and the worst from the past seven days. It is our Plays of the Week. Second week back. Hope you enjoy this edition next here on Tim and Friends.
2: Welcome back to Tip and Friends. We've got huge news out of the National Football League this afternoon as the league announced that Falcons receiver Calvin Ridley has been suspended indefinitely for at least the 2022 season for betting on NFL games. Ridley left the Falcons after week seven last season to focus on his mental health. Now, the NFL said in a statement that the incident happened during a five-day period in late November when Ridley was not with the team and that no games were compromised in any way, although the bets did reportedly involve the Falcons. Ridley is eligible to apply for reinstatement in February of next year. He may also appeal his suspension. Timmy, this is pretty wild news. What's your reaction to all of this? Well,
1: first off, there's going to be a ton of speculation that we can neither confirm or deny in a situation like this at this point. Mm-hmm. One, he was away from his team. Was it just for focusing on his own mental health? Was it just one bet? We're suggested, it is suggested to us right now that it was just one bet, that it was just part of a parlay, mm-hmm. and that Calvin Ridley himself said it was a $1,500 bet that he placed on the team. But as the NFL and other leagues cozy up to gambling sites, they can't have any illusion whatsoever of any of their players being involved in gambling. Like, I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, ah, it was just a $1,500 bet. Ah, this is too harsh of a response, suspending them for the entire year, which makes a lot of that speculation grow even further that maybe it wasn't just one way. And maybe we're not hearing the final truth. But in any way shape or form the ga- the gambling side of this is what the NFL the NHL the NBA every other league that cozies up to these gambling sites cannot have any illusion that any of their players are gambling on these games or they will lose a lot of faith from their
2: fans well said uh, Adam Schefter tweeting out some specifics about what He's learned from this situation. NFL determined that Calvin Ridley placed multi-legged parlay bets involving three, five, and eight games that included the Falcons to win, per source. Investigation determined that there was no involvement from any team, players, coach, etc., placed via his mobile device out of state. Now, Ridley himself has been uh, tweeting a lot this afternoon. I bet 1,500 total. I don't have a gambling problem. I couldn't even watch football at that point. Uh, Just going to be more healthy when I come back. I know I was wrong, but I'm getting one year, LOL. If you know me, you know my character. So a fast-moving situation here with Calvin Ridley.
1: All right, a couple of quick pieces of of advice for Calvin Ridley moving forward. One, when you are the news on the Internet, stay off the (laughs) Internet. Don't tweet. And when you bet $1,500 and you lose $10 million, that's the worst bet of all time don't do that. So a little couple of
2: pieces of advice. Yeah, that's, that's tough. You're losing your salary for a $1,500 bet. Not a trade probably should have made. No. Uh, from that news to the plays of the week. Let's do it. Let's
1: mosey Let's on it, up baby. to the old 98 for what we call the P.O. Dubs. This will be a Monday tradition moving forward. Jesse and I for the plays of the week. Don't be sad, kids. It's time. Don't hide your head in shame either. We are good to go and ready for a smile-inducing Plays of the Week. Is that irony? (laughs) Is that like having the smiley face in the paper bag? Very nice. Uh, I think the force is strong with this one. Let's start with some puck. Jack Eichel against the Bruins. Some said he meant to do it. Others realized he didn't. He just lost the puck. Yeah, I mean, Either that, that, way, that's tough for goalies. That's not that easy. First goal in front of the home crowd. Uh, Avs, Isles, watch McKinnon through the legs of Anders Lee. You had to see it twice, second in slow motion, to understand exactly what he did. Patrick Laine did not get enough love for this goal. He's been on a heater. Patrick Laine of old, Timmy. I think he's got his swagger back. Uh oh. Uh. Have you heard the... Uh, Leafs have had some goaltending issues. Yeah, won't go away. Well, how about Austin Matthews' 200-foot game, Jesse, as he saves a goal here. Toronto screaming, give that man the selkie. The Vesna, maybe Andre Vasilevsky. Same game. First, the shaft of the stick. Then, on a two-on-one. Is this one even better than the first one? The flexibility on that. Like, that that's not healthy. That's <laughs> not normal. Come on now. Says the guy who just ran a 40. <laughs> uh, speaking of running, how about... No baseball, but we will show you Vladimir Guerrero Jr. staying in great shape. He's good to go whenever they start this season to the hard court. And you might remember last week we showed you mm. Steph hitting a million threes in warm-up. Tristan Thompson not exactly hitting a bunch of shots. I think he's suffering from that <laughs> Kardashian curse that we talked about <laughs> earlier, Jesse. Might be time to hang him up, Tristan. That, that's a tough look. Uh, meanwhile, in the Pelicans game, while Tristan's building that house... Brandon Ingram just flips it up and good to go.
2: Oh, that's the shades of the Raptors, Wizards, Mo P from back in the day. Kind of, sort of. Yeah. Not really. Moving <laughs> on.
1: Last week we called Ja. That one won a game. <laughs> right. Whatever. <laughs> uh, posterizing Pirtle. Then Ja does this.
0: Stephen Adams is going to throw that into the stands. Ja gets it off. Oh, my
6: goodness. you got to be kidding.
0: That is going to count. Doesn't
6: make any sense. He's made some of the more spectacular plays you're ever
0: going to see, and that one might top them all.
1: Jaw a little MVP chance. Meanwhile, on the PGA Tour, I often overestimate 10 inches. John Rahm underestimated the 10 inches.
2: Oh, that is tough. That went about as well as the rest of the golf segment on Friday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> From ugly to amazing, Max Homer. He doesn't watch because he can't see the hole that far away. So he turns. Here's a reaction. That's right, it's an ace and a little boom boom, Frank little, the Tank. A little shimmy. Is that uh, understated reaction? Speaking of Frank the Tank, of course we end on the combine. This is 341-pound Jordan Davis <laughs> on the 40, 482. At 341 pounds. Oh no, why are you doing that? So I compare it to Jesse Rubinoff at 145 pounds. I look faster. It's a honest. solid 604. Similar size breasts here between McAuliffe <laughs> and our boy Jordan Davis. <laughs> All right, Internet, do your thing. That day, for no particular reason, I decided to go for a little run. So I ran to the end of the road. When I got there, I oh,
6: thought
1: maybe yeah, I'd run through the so- end of You This is right. When I got there. <laughs> <laughs> Tony the memer back
2: at it, and that
1: concludes that's another good. edition.
2: That's, that's hard to do with the of diving. The I know the editing three. work that goes into that. That's not easy. Is that like, like frame by frame by frame yeah. by frame? I mean, that part took by him by a long time. So, like, you got to cut it out. That's exactly right. And then you go... Psh, all the way down. Yeah, spin
1: oh, it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, we Shout appreciate out. all well those well who give us content mm-hmm. on the regular. Tony the Mimer is one of those dudes. Brian Leach, too. Are you going to run the
2: 40 again or what? I don't know. I, no, not for a while. I would do it every week if we wanted to do that, but I think the content would be pretty dry. I think
1: uh, I think next year mm. I'm going to propose the 10 uh, yard shuttle run. <laughs> Up next, we turn our attention to hockey and a pair of great matchups on the network tonight. Flames look to keep it rolling as they host the Oilers in the Battle of Alberta. That means something again. Leafs visit the Blue Jackets on Rogers' hometown hockey. We go live. Columbus, Calgary, Frank Saravelli, all joining us next as we get you set for hockey here on Sportsnet. When are you gonna start training for next year's? I already. Oh, I already. Or at least they should.
0: Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Well, listen to those talks.
1: Welcome back, Tim and friends. Tim McAuliffe along with the dancing Jesse Rubinoff. We are with you for another 30 minutes on Sportsnet. Full hour on Sportsnet 360. Coming up, we'll talk some hockey to get you set for hockey. Frank Saravelli pair of great matchups on the network tonight. The Battle of Alberta goes in Calgary. We'll check in with Ryan Leslie in just a minute, but we begin in Columbus where the Leafs will take on the blue sport coats on Rogers' hometown hockey. Our crews are traveling to the United States of America again, meaning Sean McKenzie has crossed the border for the first time in a long time. Shawnee, are you happy to be back on the road?
5: I am thrilled for A couple reasons. The biggest reason is Hotel American TV. You're probably thinking, (laughs) yes, I spent the last day watching all the March Madness prep and all the... No, wrong. You're 100% wrong. Last night, The Vow was on. Today was a twilight marathon. I spent my time (laughs) wisely. There are movies galore, and nothing beats a good daytime rom-com. So that answers your question, Tim.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that that answers my question probably a little too much. All right, let's talk uh, blue sport coats and Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, The story of the day always seems to be goaltending, or at least in the last little while for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Is today any different?
5: No, even more so because we're going back to Peter Mrazek and we're at the point now where just anyone, somebody, take the net for the Maple Leafs and run with it. That being said, uh, I don't get the sense around the Maple Leafs talking to Sheldon Keefe and talking to the players that it's a a full-blown panic. I think there are moments in the last year, and the last couple seasons for the Leafs that you look and go, is this the normal ups and the downs of a season, or is it cause for panic? And I don't think we're quite there yet, but as we get further, and I feel like this is the third or fourth time we've said that, as we get deeper and deeper, the concern starts to rise, and Mm -hmm. uh, it will be Peter Morazic, as I mentioned, Sheldon Keefe saying that he feels Jack Campbell is on the verge of Finding his game. He said at practice yesterday, he watched the way he bounced back from that loss over the Vancouver Canucks, and he said he loved the work that he put in. All that being said, though, you have to make the saves. And uh, the goaltending has been subpar, there's no denying that. But Sheldon Keefe also addressed the fact that in front of the net in Vancouver, his D was not physical enough clearing the bodies out. You saw lots of tips, you saw lots of men left alone be able to tap that puck in didn't put all the blame on the goaltending that the defense needs to be a lot tougher in front of their goalies to make their lives easier. Do you enjoy organ music? You know what I like? Mm -hmm. I like organ music that's like a take on pop culture. Like, if you give me, like, a rap song, like, if you give me, like, Still Dre (laughs) on the organ, oh, just...
1: You don't don't like the old... Just, uh... like,
5: no, like, elevator organ, like, I'm kind (laughs) of...
1: I do feel like there's a at the end of every time I hear the old school organ, Jimmy Holmstrom, or if we go Deanne Bow in Montreal.
5: Yeah, it's, it's just back Like, it's nice, and then you realize you're listening to an organ, and you're like, oh, we can change this at any time. <laughs> but, like I said, you give me, like, a a, a rendition of a popular song on an organ. Oh, it's like, just, the, I'm not going to go into how much detail I like it, but. I like it a lot I got you uh, Twilight and The
1: Vow almost as much as you like Twilight and The Vow Team Edward I don't know what The Vow is but maybe that's because I'm 46. you know what Come it's after Channing me, Tatum the it's vow.
5: where she loses her memory <laughs> right.
1: Mackenzie thank you I think I've seen it you yeah, don't yes, know what The yes, Vow yes. is shame no, on you yeah is it any good
2: of course, nah, it's good as real. Channing Tatum and Rachel McAdams. <laughs> All
1: right. What, get, what off is wrong with you? get off my TV. Get off my TV. No. and No, push Leslie. We're
5: talking about this. Push Leslie. We need a 10 minute exposé. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. Let's get to the Oilers and the Flames. Cut off Sean McKenzie. All right. Oilers and Flames will meet for the third to vow in Twilight. <laughs> it's a sports show. Oilers and Flames meet for the third time this season in Calgary. You can see it. Sportsnet won 9.30 Eastern, 7.30 local in Alberta. Edmonton has won both of the previous matchups this season. But since their last meeting on January 22nd, the Flames, the best team in the NHL. They have a four-point top uh, four point lead atop the Pacific Division, while the Oilers are out on the outside looking in two points back of the final wild card spot in the West. You know the fans in Calgary will be ready for this one. So will Ryan Leslie, who is standing by live at Scotiabank. Scottle Ryan, what are you expecting tonight? And please don't say the vow or Tyler, please.
4: I uh, was just imagining the long version to Sean McKenzie's hit. Anyhow, it is the Battle of Alberta. We're fired up. Whoa. Okay. Set the PVRs for part two of Shawnee Mac. But Battle of Alberta, you've teed it up. It's, uh, you know what, 25, it's been 25 months and six days since uh, these two teams played here in front of full capacity so yeah it will be electric in here kind of a different feel though you mentioned that uh, you know edmonton won those first two meetings but uh, they don't have their full lineup tonight and they've got a bit of a stomach bug going through the room as well they don't have the likes of cassian which will help in the battle portion of this game uh, nugent hopkins uh, certainly tyson berry would be uh, beneficial to have them in their lineup but calgary is rolling You know, this is the busiest week that anyone on this team can uh, really ever remind themselves or think about playing because they had Colorado, best team in the league. They got the win there. You talk about Edmonton. And all of a sudden, you've got the defending Stanley Cup champs in here. Goes on and on and on. You have Detroit here Saturday. Of course, uh, you know, it's just madness. Washington on Tuesday. So I'm all over the place. This team is all over the place. It is absolute madness, five and seven. And you know what? This is the truest test they can have this season. It will be Miko Koskinen in net for the Oilers and for uh, Calgary. No surprise. They go back to Jacob Markstrom. So a lot uh, rolling these days for both clubs. Uh, you know, the, Jay Woodcroft was talking about that physicality means something different for his team. But, you know, Calgary wants to bring that physical pain all night.
1: It, it just feels like the NHL. I'm not saying it hasn't been the same over the last few years, but it hasn't been the same over the last few years because the fans haven't been involved. But the NHL is a better place when the Battle of Alberta means something.
4: You know, it's interesting, too. Matthew Kachuk was reminiscing about that last time. And remember what it was? The goalie fight. Yeah. That was madness. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if we'll see that. I'm hoping, but uh, if not, maybe Sean McKenzie and I can duke it out. That might uh, be a rating spike.
1: Yeah, it might be a little bit of a spike instead of the, uh, the Twilight and Val talk. Uh, just you and him going toe-to-toe, blow for blow. Appreciate you, as always, Mr. Leslie, uh, and you look good. You there too. is Ryan Leslie. In Calgary. All right, let's continue the hockey conversation with a friend, Frank Saravelli. He is the hockey insider, president of hockey content at the Daily Faceoff, and the co-host of the DFO Rundown podcast. He joins me now, Mr. Saravelli. Thanks for joining.
7: Yeah, Tim, I, I hate to pour it on there, Shawnee Mac, but, you know, can you imagine <laughs> being locked down for most of the last two calendar years? You get across the border to the U.S., and the first thing you want to do is watch TV. I did not have that on my bingo card. We watched enough TV for the last two years. Yeah,
1: me too, and we get enough of the same ish these days anyway. Like, it's not as if TV in Canada is that much different. I mean, we could pirate all we want if we if uh, if we uh, if we so choose. Hey, did you have ground effects to the background? I love this. It's like you've, uh, you've souped up your car behind you, a little blue, a little <laughs> yeah. red. I love it.
7: A little LED strips. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I do what I can.
1: Nice. <laughs> nice. I love it. So, the, the Leafs and Jackets on hometown hockey, a lot of focus on goaltending and defense in Toronto. Uh, I mentioned earlier today that the Leafs have the lowest save percentage in the league since January 9th. It is a smaller sample size, but not all that small at 876. From what you're hearing, has that changed their course heading into this deadline?
7: I think it's up for debate internally within the Toronto Maple Leafs themselves at the moment, and I think you have your stats up here since January 9th. If you go back even further, December 7th, um, you know, you have Jack Campbell under an 890 save percentage. This has been something that's been lingering for a while, but for whatever reason, mostly because the Toronto Maple Leafs have been able to outscore their opponents by a significant margin and score so often that they've been able to paper over a lot of their issues in net. And so I think that's exactly the situation that the Leafs are in right now, where they're saying, well, we've sort of had our eye on defense this entire time leading up to the trade deadline. Do we have to pivot? And if we are going to pivot, who's that going to be with and what's that going to cost? So there are a few holes for the Toronto Maple Leafs to fill, and that's why I believe they're going to be the most fascinating team over these next 14 days until the deadline because there's so much to determine. Are you willing, if you're Kyle Dubas, to bet this roster that for the most part has played pretty well, second pair of your defense notwithstanding, to really be a solid playoff contender yet you're going to bet that on subpar goaltending, which has existed and gone on for quite a while. You know, I, I'm just sort of laughing at, at the situation not to poke fun at anyone, but you know, where is, is Jack Campbell supposed to find his game from the bench tonight? Like, I, I don't necessarily understand the thinking. If you're going to try and play your way out, if, it, if you're hoping for someone, anyone to yeah. step up and, and take the crease, you know, Peter Morazic got his chance last week with two games and didn't exactly bathe himself in glory. Who's going to step up for the Leafs and do it? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. So so with that in mind, I mean, obviously sometimes people connect the dots when it comes to uh, rumors that are out there, but the Marc-Andre Fleury rumors seem to have gathered a little more steam. Is that just speculation and connecting dots, or could that actually happen with the Toronto Maple Leafs?
7: Well, I think it could actually happen mostly for the reason that if you were to go through the list and you can ask Ken Holland and the Oilers because they've been doing this exercise for a long time, who are the real difference makers that exist on the NHL's trade market? And the only one that really has the playoff success and the pedigree. And in addition to being the reigning Vezina trophy winner as the best goaltender in the national hockey league, there's only one person who meets that criteria and that's Marc-Andre Fleury. So if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're saying, well, we're not gonna go out and make a window dressing acquisition here. We're not gonna bring in a David Riddick to, to pick a name out of a hat that they did last year. Well, then we're gonna have to go and get someone of real consequence, someone that could be a difference maker for our group. and Flurry has to be the only guy that's on the list. I mean, you look at some of the other goaltenders available, Braden Holpe, Jonas Corposalo, who I'm sure the Leafs remember from uh, their playoff series in the bubble. Mm -hmm. The list of guys that have had sustained success in this league, it's a pretty short one. And so those guys, you know, Corpusalo, sub-900 save percentage, you might as well hang on to the guys that you have and not give up the assets in order to make something like that happen. So if that's the exercise that the Leafs are going through, why wouldn't his name rise to the top?
1: Okay, so a lot of teams, I mean, the two teams that you spoke of, Edmonton and Toronto, both featured on the network tonight. I was going to talk about goaltending for them both. But for Marc-Andre Fleury, um, I mean, you reported on it. We saw the stories about how he was reticent even to go to Chicago. Does it sound like, I mean, listen, if he went to one of those two towns that we just mentioned, Toronto and Edmonton, and backstop them On a long run, he would cement his legacy and be able to write tickets in both those towns. But does that sound like something that he's willing to undertake, given the move to Chicago seemed as stressful as it was to start?
7: Well, I I think from the homework I've done, it's going to be market dependent. It depends on which team is willing to step up. You know, I think there have been a number that have tried to call and ask the question, I think, into this point, they've been rebuffed. The Washington Capitals were a team that had been connected to Marc-Andre Fleury for a long time as, you know, they were sort of putting on the full court press in their search for a veteran netminder. I don't think Washington gets the green light in that case. The question is, would Toronto? I'm a little bit skeptical on the Edmonton Oilers front as well. You know, I don't know if that gets the green light when it's all said and done. And you know, really, he holds the cards here because it's not just the no trade list. It's also the conversation and sort of gentleman's agreement that many believe exists between Flurry and the Blackhawks going back to that conversation, Tim, saying, well, you know, if we end up in a position where we're not a playoff team and we're going to move you, we're going to send, we promise to send you to a place that you approve of. And so I think the thing that's also so enticing about Marc Grande Fleury, if you're one of those teams, put all the on-ice success aside, is how well he wears the pressure. Think back to Vegas, um, you know, being the man about town, the marquee name on expansion draft night, he comes in and delivers as the absolute face of the franchise, 47 playoff games there, a 920 save percentage. You know, he's got the Stanley Cups on his resume. He seems to have that demeanor that just calms everyone else around him. That, I, That's a, just another layer to the acquisition puzzle if you're one of these teams that's trying to make something like that happen.
1: So the Oilers deal would be dollar for dollar, given where they are against the cap. and That would be tough to do. Um, we played a clip of us talking about the Oilers' goaltending situation earlier in the show where we just, I said, I'm no longer answering this question. Let's just play how many times I've said the Oilers need a goaltender, and there's been a few times. So for Ken Holland, the rest of the NHL knows this as well. Like, how do they get through a goalie market when everyone knows that's probably what they're looking for?
7: Well, there's also a difference in calculus between these two teams in terms of where they sit in the standings, if we're still yeah. also including the Leafs in the conversation. They're a firm playoff team, and even though they've been in a little bit of a fall in the standings, they're not going anywhere. The East is largely set. The Edmonton Oilers have work to do to get in. They're on pace for 93 points this year. They've got to make some hay up over these next uh, 27 games or so in order to just get in. A goaltender would be one easy way to do so, but the question is, again, this is what they've been sifting through for the last number of months now. Who is a difference maker for us to go out and get? And, and if the answer is no on Marc-Andre Fleury, who else is on the list? Does Holpe do it for you? Does Holpe want to go to Canada? You know, these are all big questions that need to be answered. Does Corpusalo does and his lack of success over these last couple seasons, does he leave you wanting Alexander Georgiev? What's it like to to pry him out of New York? Those are the types of questions that uh, the Edmonton Oilers have been asking for months now and haven't gotten the answers that they want. And I think, you know, as they're going through this process, just as well as the Leafs are, can someone step up and grab this crease? Well, Stuart Skinner now comes in as the backup. And can he get an opportunity at some point with Mike Smith out with this non-COVID-related illness? So, you know, does Skinner step up and take the reins? Will he run with it?
1: You know, it's interesting. You bring up Georgiev, and I brought that up a couple months ago on the show as a potential kind of spot for Edmonton to maybe exploit how good Shosturkin's been. And we had Elliot Friedman on. I brought it up to him, and he said, would the Rangers mess with that chemistry that they've got between Shosturkin and Georgiev because it's working so well? Do you think that the Rangers would be willing to part with Georgiev if the the number was right?
7: The answer is yes. Yeah. It's it's been out there a bit that they're certainly willing to have Georgiev move on if and only if they feel like they can find a veteran replacement to step in. Shesterkin has been so good. So the bottom line with Alexander Georgiev is this. He's not coming back to the New York Rangers next season. Uh, You know, I hate to speak in absolutes, but I'd be very surprised if that happens. He wants a different opportunity as a starting netminder in the NHL. He believes he's earned that opportunity with his play and he's also due a new contract. And so the New York Rangers, it's an expensive luxury they can't afford with how well Shesterkin's playing that they'd probably have to, to find Georgiev a new home. So the question is, is it now before the deadline or is it sometime in June before the draft? It, it's happening at some point. Uh, Can they, you know, play this game of musical chairs in the meantime, and maybe not upset that chemistry, but find a veteran that gives you just a little security blanket to feel safe at night if you're Chris Drury. And then you've got Keith Kincaid as your third guy in case the wheels totally fall off, but I could see it happening for sure.
1: All right, Saravelli, I love the information that you're bringing to the table. I'm going to ask you an open-ended question. We were focusing, obviously, on the teams that are going to appear on the network tonight. We've got the Battle of Alberta on Sportsnet 1. Leafs and Jackets is on Sportsnet coming up in mere moments from now. But give me a team, Mr. Saravelli, that you feel could be a wild card going into this deadline, a team that either decides it's a seller, a team that decides it's a buyer that could shake up this market a little bit here. Hmm.
7: Well, I said it off the top and I'm not just pandering to the market and certainly not because they're on your station tonight, but I don't think there's a more interesting team to watch than the Leafs over these next two weeks. They could go any which number of directions. They could go goaltender. They could go top four defenseman. They could go winger. There's all sorts of things on the plate. And they you know, the crazy thing about all of that is the idea that what happens if the Leafs do nothing? You know, at the end of all this puzzle, you know, you've still got likely the Florida Panthers in the first round. And if you're able to escape their grasp, then, oh, hey, you get a nice little treat in the Tampa Bay Lightning, most likely in the second round. I yeah. mean, this is a daunting, daunting situation that they're facing and and not to put too much hyperbole on it, but you know, they've got some significant decisions to make when they're staring down some pressure at the same exact time. So they're interesting non-playoff teams. There's a whole total, you know, whole host of them that are interesting. Columbus, New Jersey, uh, go down the list. There, you know, certainly some non-playoff teams in yeah. the West as well. What do the Winnipeg Jets do? They've got some pieces to potentially sell off. There's all sorts of interesting equations, none more so than Toronto.
1: Okay, so one last one then to follow up on that, because I was saying I did a whole thing about the Leafs, the difference between good and great is consistency, and they haven't been able to be consistent, though they've shown flashes of absolute brilliance. If they don't get it done, do you think there's change coming in Toronto? And listen, even if they win the division, it looks like battle-tested Washington or battle-tested Boston is the team that you get even
7: if you won the division. there's no cupcakes in the east there's no easy way out you have to win your way through um you know so if it doesn't happen will there be change that's the question yeah i'd be surprised if there isn't some kind of change you know you you ran back your core four this year do they have to reshuffle the deck and beyond that from a thirty thousand foot view what other kinds of changes exist is it off ice is it coaching is it management what have you, I would have to think that after six straight first round exits, if that's what ends up happening, that the status quo is just unacceptable.
1: Saravelli, always appreciate you. And uh, I love the LED strips, the ground effects, however you want to put them. You've added a little to the equation, and we appreciate it.
7: Hey, as long as we're not talking the vow, I'm good.
1: <laughs> there is Frank Saravelli joining us. Uh, he of the daily faceoff.com. All right, time for a break. On the other side, we'll keep the hockey talk going. Then. Turn things over to Rogers Hometown Hockey on Sportsnet. If you're looking for basketball, stick around. Sportsnet 360, Dave McMenamin on a great weekend in the NBA. Coming up. Hometown Hockey, Battle of Alberta and Basketball Talk. Coming up with... Dave McMenamin, right here on Tim and Friends. Tweet from Daryl Samuels, who writes in after that nonsense from McKenzie, followed by Leslie and Saravelli. Triple threat match on Tim and Friends. You can see Frank Saravelli, Sean McKenzie, and Ryan Leslie, with Tim McAuliffe as the rig announcer and Rubinoff as the giggling fan. (laughs) Not not really a compliment to Rubinoff and all that. I'll take it. Hashtag Tim and Friends. Hashtag let's get ready to rumble.
2: I don't. He got in a triple threat match between. Leslie McKenzie you know, and Cervelli. Leslie was real
1: confident with his You Gotta be careful with that, though. To McKenzie, but like I've seen McKenzie, like he run an Ironman, and he's got like these huge quads that he always rolls up the shorts for for pictures on <laughs> IG. Like I, I, I don't know if it's all for show, but there's a little substance to McKenzie
2: that I, I often wonder about behind that. Uh, pretty boy exterior yeah. he likes to play the iron man probably has him as the odds on favorite there but
1: uh yeah, i don't i don't know how
2: much that translates into say a squared circle a square, but yeah okay i got you, you. okay uh matthew writes in uh, tim definitely has seen the vow he's playing it cool all right i'm gonna google the vow no no don't have to because i have it right, right. here uh, the Vow, no, 20- no 2012 romance drama, no an hour chance. and 44 minutes long. Sh- hour and 44 minutes? I uh, don't have
1: a time to watch an hour and 6. 44 8
2: minutes. 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb, which I actually am, am trusting more these days than the Rotten Tomatoes because then it depends on you know, the audience versus the critics, which one you, you like more. Do you have a preference? Uh, it depends
1: on what I'm looking for, to be honest with you, because sometimes you're looking for just the smash, bang, boom, right. and you don't really care what the critics think. Yes. Uh, sometimes you're looking for stupid comedy. Yes. You don't really care what the critics think. That's audience. I think you go back and forth between IMDb and Rotten yeah.
2: Tomatoes. Comedy is so. really good, I find, for audience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For so audience. Strong. And what you're talking about is audience score rating, for those who don't
2: know. Yes. Versus yes. critic score rating. Um, based on true story, I should add. As oh, well. the vow. Yeah. Oh, based on wonderful. So uh, uh,
1: maybe the next we had a we had a family. I was very happy. We had a family uh, movie watching night on Saturday night, and the kids actually sat through the entire movie. So maybe I'll try the vow next time. Well, oh, sorry, you got to tell us what you what you watched. I don't have to. Okay. <laughs>
2: okay. Fine. Well, right, let's move on to Leafs and Oilers. So we have Someone the will get mad at me for showing sure it to my kids. <laughs> Fine. Fair enough. Uh, we had the conversation in the first block about who was the bigger goaltending problem. And there's nothing like the telling
1: other people how to parent. Right. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> um, which team has the bigger goaltending issue, the Leafs or the Oilers? So after... Each team obviously had goaltending issues on Saturday night. We decided to send out this tweet, and it got us a a ton of responses. So, Justin writes in, Koskinen is playing solid in his last 10. At least the Oil have one goalie playing well right now. Leafs can't say that. Uh, Mike says, both teams (laughs) looking pretty cheesy right now. I
1: get it, Swiss cheese. Mm -hmm, Nice
2: nice job, Mike.
4: Uh,
2: Log says, Oilers Leafs have a D problem. Not a goalie problem. This has been a point that you have made uh, time and time again, specifically as it pertains to the Leafs, I think. Yeah,
1: I think Lilligren's on the top pairing tonight for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That
2: could be a contributing factor to suspect D. Uh,
1: I, I I think that that is vastly underplayed in fan circles and sometimes overplayed in coaching and management circles.
2: Do you understand what like I'm saying on that? The, like the fans aren't paying enough attention to the defense?
1: Yeah, and the teams and coaches oftentimes
2: pay too much attention yeah, it's, it's to the defense and take the goalie off the hook. That's interesting. I, I think the fans, um, when you're looking at a goalie, for example, it's very easy to sort of critique it, because you're watching whether he lets in goals even or not. Even his
1: numbers you can, right. right? Like, even the numbers you can look at, even if it's, you know, above goal saved, above uh, percent, like, all of those things, there are a lot of factors that the defense play into, and I know we've only got it less than a minute, and you might have more tweets here, but I think it happens a lot. Yeah. Even in numbers, like save percentage. Ah, save percentage is low. Well, if they're
2: getting tap-ins... It's a crutch. It's a crutch yeah. for people to go immediately to the stats, whereas defense you sort of got to wade through the waters a little bit or look a little more closer. Right, high Uh,
1: danger position, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, so Alessio says, Oilers, they've been having problems all year. Leafs have one month of bad goaltending with horrendous team defense. It's been a little longer than a month now. Feels
1: like the Muzzin appreciation tour right now. (laughs)
2: Lord Garth says, Leafs, because it's the sole remaining glaring problem. So uh, the people are are divided. But both teams, without question,
1: need a goalie, Timmy. I think there's a lot of people that disagree with the last one and point to the defense. (laughs) Yeah. All right. For those of you watching on Sportsnet, Rogers' hometown hockey with Ron McLean and Tara Sloan is up next. They will get you set for the Leafs and the Blue Jackets. You can lay down the converter. Everybody else, Tim and Friends, continues on Sportsnet 360. ESPN's Dave McMenamin on the NBA and what was a crazy weekend. Next. I don't know why I got to say. A big game for the Lakers,
4: all is not lost yet.
3: James puts up a three.
0: Bang! LeBron James gives the Lakers their first lead of the second half. He's got 49. You hear what he just said to Matthew Stafford? I can't have you in the building if I put on the show. am sure Stafford is very appreciative. Elliot to James, it's bedlam here in LA. A thrilling victory for the Lakers, thanks to a magnificent performance from LeBron James. to 37 years old in his 19th year in the NBA. Pours in 56.
1: Right now, I don't give a damn about the 56. I'm just happy we got a win. These Lakers still have a chance. Okay, Mike, I guess the Lakers need to bring in... Uh, Matthew Stafford to every game. They snap their five-game winning streak with a win over the Warriors on Saturday thanks to 56 from LBJ. Tonight, they'll try and win two straight games for the first time in two months. So they visit the Spurs. You can see it on Sportsnet now, 8.30 Eastern. Meanwhile, Golden State, problems of their own, having lost eight of their last ten. They'll look to get back on track tonight against the Nuggets. Nikola Jokic coming off a 46 point performance on Sunday that game also available Sportsnet now sign up 9 p.m. Eastern time Uh, joining me now from ESPN is Dave McMenamin McMenamin I tried to get the joke in there rather quickly but I don't know if it worked does Matt Stafford now have to attend every Lakers game moving forward
0: well actually they've had very few wins as we all know this season The last time they had a big win like that was a comeback against Utah Jazz. Who was in the building? Aaron Donald. So Cooper Cup, the Rams wide receiver, has taken to Twitter and he says, Lakers, give me a courtside (laughs) seat. I'll come. I'll keep the streak going. Uh, Whatever they they can do, uh, it's working right now with the Rams connection.
1: All right, McMenamin uh, courtside in San Antonio for the Lakers and the Spurs tonight, which you can see on Sportsnet now. um, The... The part of LeBron James 56, was it lost given uh, the position that they find themselves in right now?
0: I thought about that because I've been, I think, to five of his 13 50-point games in the regular season of his career, and someone who works for the Lakers asked me to put it into context where I would rank it. And in some ways, I would say it's more impressive just because this team was left for dead. Some of the, the recent losses they've had losing in blowout fashion, to the New Orleans Pelicans, getting run out of the building by the LA Clippers. It looked like there was literally no life in the group. And for him to come out at the stage of his career, he's in 37 years old, 19 years into this game, and really kind of give credence to the idea that this is not over. There is still 20 games left. And if they can get some momentum and get Anthony Davis back, there is still a chance. I think made it in some ways more impressive, despite the fact the Lakers are still seven games under 500.
1: I almost looked at it as a Kobe-like performance because I felt like every time Kobe felt like the pressure was building on a team, he would just go off, take 45 shots, score as many points as he possibly could, and perhaps people would focus on that. Did, did it feel like LeBron was uh, trying to send a message to everybody around the league, whether it be the Lakers or even beyond this year, that this was more about, I can still do it?
0: Yeah, certainly. I think that's a fair comparison, especially the Kobe parallel. I think Raptors fans will remember yeah. the year Kobe played with Dwight Howard, which was such a mess of a season. And Kobe had that, that game where he hit four threes down the stretch to beat the Raptors. In my mind, one of the more underrated Kobe performances because that team really needed it. It was, it was about Kobe enforcing his will on what was going to occur. And right now, LeBron still has that in him. As we've seen, it's been a remarkable year for him. He's second in the league in scoring. Other than a couple injuries, he's been remarkably consistent for this group. And if that was his signal that, hey, get on my back and let's ride this thing to the end, I think that's a very good sign for this group because I've covered LeBron on teams like that yeah. before where you didn't think they were capable of much. The 2018 Cavs, right? They entered the playoffs as the four seed. They end up making the NBA Finals. And I'm not saying this will have that <laughs> – big of an impact this team will make the NBA finals. I don't believe that's the case, but certainly it's saying we're not going to lay down and just give up on what's left of the season.
1: What happens to Russell Westbrook?
0: Oh, he'll be traded if they can find a requisite trade partner. They could have traded him right before the trade deadline to the Houston Rockets, but they weren't willing to give up their first round pick. Now, come July 1st, they will have two first round picks available them because of the structure of the league CBA the 2019 should be 2029 first round pick will also become available and as one source within the Lakers told me that will open up a whole new universe of potential trades because they will have those two assets as they canvass the league and so you know, Russell Westbrook certainly has not fit people within the organization like who he is as a person who he is as a family man, but uh, at the end of the day, this is a business and a results oriented sport. And right now, he's not cutting it.
1: So they're going to have to give up assets to get someone to take on that salary, right?
0: Yeah. And it's an expiring contract at, come the summertime. Right. Like, obviously, if they were to trade him this year, whatever team that took him on would have to take on the salary hit of this year plus next year. Next year, you know, you could have several guys on, you know, two guys on. 20 million dollar deals with two years left on their their contracts that the team wants to get off of well they can get russell westbrook for a year and hey the one team you should pay attention to oklahoma city thunder they have all (laughs) sorts of um, um incentive to bring him on because they're not trying to win right now and that's probably the one place where russell westbrook even if he doesn't affect the winning on the court can affect the, the sale of tickets at the gate
1: yeah without a doubt that's a that's a great point and as Michael Grain said on Twitter today Sam Presti might have to sprain Shea Gilgis Alexander's ankle again because he's playing too well for OKC right now uh, the Warriors struggles on the other side of that LeBron uh, 56 is is this the Draymond Green appreciation tour right now
0: that's certainly part of it their defense has been disarray uh, over the time that Draymond missed and originally it seemed like it would be a couple of weeks, and now we're veering into the you know, couple-month territory. He will bring an emotional lift, an intelligence lift to that team. But to consider him the catch-all, be-all panacea that will fix what's ailing them, I don't think is fair on Draymond. What they need to do is get back to the type of team they were early on in the season where it's four, five, six passes each possession and Steph Curry is not required to do so much of the heavy lifting on the offensive end. He's getting guys like Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga, Gary Payton II, um, playing with a head of steam and, and looking to make plays on their own. Last night, um, the Lakers' defense was loading up on Steph, and Steph still had a, a, a good game, but he didn't have a superhuman game. And you know, getting guys like you know, Clay Thompson back into the rhythm of things Uh, that's going to help them in the long run, but he hasn't fully integrated to the style of ball they were playing for the first 40 games or so of the season. And so, you know, they're still in a better spot than the Lakers though, because uh, they have done their work early. Right. And even if they fall to the two seed or the three seed uh, as the Grizzlies are gaining on them, they will still be able to host a first round playoff series. They will still be able to use that playoff series to get draymond back in highly competitive games uh, and look forward to the second round and beyond
1: all right we've been focusing in on the uh on the western conference mc10 but who's the best team in the east not right now when it matters most who do you think will be the best team in the eastern conference
0: i haven't seen enough to give up on the bucks and certainly the phoenix Suns without devin booker without chris paul without Cam Johnson gave them everything they could handle yesterday, but that was still a strong win for a Bucks team that is still integrating in some new pieces, or so Jabaka is there. They don't have Brooke Lopez back yet, but he is back practicing, and he was such a big piece to their postseason success last year. Chris Middleton just showed the clip of him, the 40 ball, yesterday on an ABC nationally televised game. Uh, and, you know, Grayson Allen's been a great addition to that group. That's the team I look to, number one, above all, because Giannis is still on the short list, top three, four players in the world. I don't think the Nets can do it with all of their question marks at this point. Sixers look dynamite since they've added James Harden, and that's actually opened up a whole new wrinkle to uh, Maxi's game, who he showed some yeah. signs of life already. But, man, he looks like a budding star here. Um, and then, obviously, the Heat, you don't count him out. Maybe the best coach alive today in the NBA, uh, manning their sidelines, and they have a bunch of a, a tough uh, son of a guns, as Toronto <laughs> fans know about Kyle Lowry. And so yeah. uh, I wouldn't count them out, but I would go. My, uh, Milwaukee won my uh, Sixers two, and then you know also ran after that.
1: Okay, so let me let me focus in on that because the last time I checked the odds and granted it was a couple days ago. The Brooklyn Nets were the favorite not only to win, but they were the highest number, or the lowest number, as it were, in Vegas to win the NBA championship out of the Eastern Conference. And lo and behold, you look up at the standings and they're ninth in the – I don't know if I've ever seen that before. A team this late in the season be ninth in the, M- in, the, in the conference standings and still be the Vegas odds-on favorite to win the conference. You've spent enough time around KD. you spent probably more time around Kyrie Irving. What's your take of what's going on with Brooklyn and the Nets, and do you think they can find it in time?
0: I mean, theoretically, they can. And literally, as of three or four days ago, I was talking to a prominent agent who represents some of the bigger names in this league, and he doesn't have clients on Brooklyn. But as we were talking about who do you think is going to win this thing, he was say, Well, why aren't we talking about Brooklyn still? Listen, Kevin Durant has earned the title of, of best player in the world based on his performance since coming back from his Achilles and certainly what he did in the Olympics last summer. Kyrie Irving, still a magician with the basketball, and they added a defensive piece in in Ben Simmons. And even though Joe Harris, who's been big for them over the last couple of years, he's out for the season. They added uh, Seth Curry, who's one of the knockdown shooters in this league. I just don't see there's enough time to figure it out. Ben Simmons is a particular type of player, still hasn't played a game. And with the reporting we've seen, it seems like he purposely is not even thinking about playing a game until they get past the reunion with the Philadelphia 76ers and to me what does that say about where he is at mentally yeah. about the challenge ahead if you can't do that regular season game what happens if you can play this team in the playoffs uh, and so I think there's just too much noise around that team and honestly you know, sometimes talent can trump all but I, I do believe that culture matters and some of the teams they're facing have done a better job of making a cohesive unit over the last several
1: years. Okay, so let's focus in on that culture because Kyrie is mystifying to me. He's obviously a world-class basketball talent, and sometimes I feel like he gets in his own way. Here's a clip from uh, after the Celtics game where he's worried more about the booze, and he he went down a road that I didn't expect him to go down.
0: Well, I know it's going to be like that for the rest of my career, coming in here, so... Um, You know, it's like the scoring girlfriend, you know, just
4: wants an explanation on why I left, but still hoping for, you know, a text back.
1: Is it self-awareness like what what is it that gets me mystified about Kyrie.
0: Yeah, I mean, does he remember what happened in Boston? Who's calling Kyrie saying they want him back. I mean, they made the Eastern Conference finals game 7 without him without him even showing up to the road games in Cleveland at that stage uh, to support his teammates. And then it was a train wreck the year after that. And we got uh, Trevor
1: Krizon. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Got to get down on the court.
0: Uh, yeah, but um, certainly um, I, I don't get it. I don't see how there's any um, sense to that uh, opinion from Kyrie Irving. And listen, I, I think if he keeps saying things like that, he'll probably have – Brooklyn Nets fans um, not acting like the uh, Boston fans that he believes they think about him, they'll probably say, yeah, go back to him. We don't need you here either. Right.
1: I thought it was a Kyrie fan that was charging you in the middle of that answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, McMenamin always appreciate you taking the time and doing this, uh, especially on the road in San Antonio. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk again soon.
0: Right, that's good. Thanks, sir.
1: All right, There is Dave McMenamin at MC10 on Twitter, which is why I always call him MC10.
2: It really gave him a little uh, little bump there. I think there's running, some knowledge like between the yeah. two, yeah. Not friends, but
1: um, It's better like than co-workers? an elbow to the face. Yeah,
2: most definitely. We
1: almost uh, thought maybe for a moment there we were going to see Sean McKenzie and Ryan Leslie. <laughs> a situation like that. All right, time for one final break. Last call with Jesse Rubinoff is next. We might get a little Coach K talk in there as he uh, says his... Final goodbyes to Cameron Indoor Stadium. We'll do all that next right here on Tim and Friends. Cabral Richards just walked in studio and then he walked out of the studio. And he's not gonna see the tip of the cap, which goes to E.J. Perry. And I don't I don't understand why I like this so much, but I do. Friday NFL Combine, Brown University Quarterback was seen picking up garbage from around the players' benches on the sidelines. Uh, round one of the NFL draft kicks off on April 28th, and Perry is looking to become the first quarterback from Brown to be drafted since 1976. Obviously, a fine institution yeah. is Brown University. And E.J. Perry picking up trash after everyone just leaves. I don't know, like, is it, is it a sense of maybe I feel like he doesn't have The privilege that the other guys did just by leaving their garbage all over the place, or has some respect for the people who have to pick up after everyone else. Probably what
2: it is. Yeah, Yeah, It's just it was cool to see EJ Perry doing that. Yeah, I mean he should go first overall now, right? Class act.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure the NFL scouts will. (laughs) It's like uh, ability. Nah, don't worry. Uh, Wonderlic. Nah, (laughs) hand size 40. Forget he picked up. In my books, I honestly. I would draft on character. Yeah. I, not completely, but I would. He would
2: move up my draft board if I saw something like that. Agreed. All right. You mentioned the 40. SJ writes in: Can Austin Matthews beat Tim in a 40 while wearing flip-flops? Ooh. I think he'd beat both of us in wearing flip-flops. I, I think.
1: I don't think it's uh, necessarily a given. I think there could be the ability for something to happen with those flip-flops, like a trip and a fall. Yeah. I do believe with the trip and the fall, he would still beat me, he would lose to you.
2: No, I don't think so, because um, he's a professional athlete. They give them very good equipment, very good uh, Flip clothing, flops. flip-flops. It would fit his feet perfectly to the point where it wouldn't like, fall off. You I'm, wouldn't I'm have a, an accident. I'm a slide like wearer. Yeah. Uh,
1: Slides, I, don't, I, I don't think there are such a thing.
2: What good fitting flip-flops yeah. or slides? Yeah. All right. Yeah. And anyone
1: that. who wears <laughs> the thong is an idiot.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you don't like the in between the yeah between the big the toes. toe and yeah. Yeah.
1: Those are gross. You wear those, Sebby? No. no. He, agrees. No. I the he agrees. Yeah. If you you're like that guy if you wear the thong. Well, it just doesn't. It's make like sense. those sandals with the straps on right. them, like.
2: You oh, just don't wear, want to be that No, no, no. Nobody wears those anymore. Yeah. The dogs are a little different than those ones. No,
1: I, they are. They're a step up, but yeah. not much. <laughs> Sorry, Teva uh, or whoever makes those. Yeah,
2: that's so <laughs> I have
1: a buddy, a good friend of mine, who whenever he sees someone wearing the Tevas, he zooms in on their feet and posts it on his stories. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs>
2: that's really good. There's pr- probably few and far between um, these days, but... Uh, okay, one story we wanted to get to earlier, but uh, let's get to it now. North Carolina played spoiler over the weekend as the unranked Tar Heels upset fourth-ranked Duke 94-81 in the final home game for head coach Mike Krzyzewski. It was a star-studded event that included Jerry Seinfeld, Adam Silver, Tyler Murray, and Dirk Nowitzki, among others. Tim. Did Coach K deserve better in his last home game? (laughs) All right, I need... There is some
1: context to what I'm about to say about Coach K and Duke. And that is, uh, when I graduated, we posted this uh, a couple weeks ago um, when I was talking about um, what I wanted to do for my career. And at the end of my grad grid in my high school yearbook, I put ambition broadcaster... Probable Destination Rogers Game of the Week. But if you focus in a little closer on PP, which stands for Pet Peeves, it says St. Mike's, and the second one right there (laughs) is Duke. right. outstanding. So I'm not a fan in high school of Duke. It also said uh, my lack of a nickname and my speed, which was evident on the weekend. (laughs) As you can see right there, the last uh, pet peeve is my speed. Quite evident on Friday. But the, the Duke part. So, I hated Duke growing up. I just didn't like their choir boy attitudes. Wojciechowski, Steve, slapping the floor when he's playing defense. I'm just like, defend your man, never mind the floor. You can do better than that. It just pissed me off with that whole choir boy thing. But when I went down there as a professional to cover Duke, I gained a new appreciation for what they were doing and how hard it was to maintain relevance as long as Coach K and Duke had. They did it when they had every four-year guy graduate from their program, and then they reinvented themselves as one of those one-and-done schools, and that's really hard to do. So going from a place where I hated Duke to having an appreciation for what he's able to accomplish is my Duke journey.
2: Love him or hate him, Mike is one of the all-time greats without a doubt. Um, And was
1: able to unite like the Olympic team, which was a big thing too. Yeah,
2: it it does seem strange moving forward now that Duke is not gonna have Mike Krzyzewski associated with it, because he is Duke, right? And we'll
1: see how long it lasts at that, you know, elite level.
2: That's the point you were making. Aaron Rodgers is in the news again, and it's been reported the Packers have made him a significant long-term contract offer. Tim, I know you're a big Aaron Rodgers fan, Mm -hmm. but how much longer will he be making headlines? Well, now the headlines are real.
1: This is, it feels like a deadline now. He might push that deadline just to stay in the news a little longer because uh, Cabral Rettridge, if you're still watching earmuffs, he's a thirst trap and he loves the attention. However... This is real deadline. This is when they could franchise tag his favorite receiver, Devontae Adams, and they might move on from both of them. I think that they'll both stay, and I think that they will move forward together. Denver still thinks they got a shot, though. And if there's one place that he ends up with his boy, Nathaniel Hackett, it could be Denver.
2: I mean, it would be a big move if both of them were to It'd go to Denver. It would be a major
1: move, and it worked for Denver before. Peyton, Peyton Manning. Absolutely. So it might work one more time.
2: The National Hockey League has changed its branding for the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time in 13 years. We sent out the before and after logos earlier today from our Tim and Friends social accounts. Have any thoughts on the new look? Do I look,
1: sound, or have interacted with you in any way that would suggest that I give a bleep about <laughs> something like that?
2: <laughs> you don't think it's a cleaner or uh, Do you, Like Sebi. Impressive fact Back font. me up here. Could
1: you care less <laughs> about what the graphic for the Stanley Cup playoffs looks like? Am I old? Is it because we're over 40 and the kids love the graphics and stuff? I, 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 I care less.
2: I'm just gonna move Is on that, then. <laughs> that, no sorry, more Jesse. Logo talks. I know okay. you don't write half of these. No, but... that's okay. Layla Annie Fernandez. Hey, her. she defended her title Sunday at the Monterey Open, picking up the second WTA title of her young career. Yep. And today, Tennis Canada announced Layla will make headline will headline Canada's team competing at oh, really? a Billy Jean King Cup qualifier against Latvia that's next sick, month. Very well done. Thank Jess. you. I appreciate that. Billie the the winner advances Cup to qualifier. the Billie Jean King Finals in November, (laughs) can you believe she's still just a teenager, Timmy?
1: Yes, and and I hope that tennis fans remember that. I know that there have been uh, a couple stories now, um, obviously, of Canadian female tennis players (laughs) who got there quickly and then struggled to get over the hump. Uh, Give her some time, give Bianca some time to figure things out. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're falling off. She has been unbelievable and is still a teenager. So it's good news. Billie Jean King Cup qualifiers. Qualifiers. There we go, baby. Not easy to say. Rubinoff. (laughs) All right, that does it for us. reminder: Leafs, Blue Jackets coming up in Rogers Hometown Hockey on Sportsnet. Later tonight, we've got the Battle of Alberta on Sportsnet 1. Have a great night. We'll talk to you again
0: tomorrow. Hope Cabbie didn't hear me say that.